All right, everybody. I hope you're having a great day. I'm joined with Austin, the co-host, and this is the inaugural launch of the Digital Spacecast, the podcast bringing Chia and cryptos into your future. So Austin, people may not have yet talked to you or seen you out there in the sphere. Why don't you give us some information about yourself? So my name is Austin. Um, I got into uh, farming Chia um, back before transactions. I want to say like April timeframe. Um, you know, start off with like a humble farm, um, sold our ETH rigs, um, and went all in with Chia. Um, paid off pretty well um, for us because we were in debatably early. Um, but, you know, I think right now, because I partner with one of my buddies, we have about 1.1 petabytes between the two of us. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of like, you know, my farming j journey. But you know, I love everything Chia. I see so much value um, in the blockchain technology and what Bram and the, like and their team is 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 doing. And um, and I just want to help promote that more um, and and like be a part of contributing to the community that is Chia. Right. So so that's a little bit about me. But yeah. So let me ask you: Were you guys plotted up on main? You were plotted up already on main at launch, right? We were not actually. So we started no. plotting after mainnet launch and probably like a few weeks after main, like actual mainnet launch is, is when we started plotting. Yeah. So you guys were OG plotter all the way back then. We were OG plotters um, and we ended up replotting everything once pooling came out. Um, but yeah, I think we won, me personally, I won like three blocks solo. Um nice. I sold at like the 1600 price point and then the 600 price point. And then I think the, maybe the 1000 price point as well. But yeah, so mm -hmm. like, I just wanted to get all my money back that I had like invested in it. Um, and so that pretty much did it for me. Um, and, and yeah, so. So that is kind of the value of being early in a crypto yeah. and having things ready to roll right off the bat. So had you guys actually been plotted up? I've talked to a couple of people out there that were plotted and oh my gosh, the amount of rewards they got. Wow. So, you know, when we talk about things and being early, I like people to understand the context of why paying attention to a project as it progresses towards its main net is an important factor. Now, Chia is actually, I, I've got to say, I think that they've done an excellent job pivoting to things that have popped up. Like, for instance, you mentioned you guys replotted right off the bat. I know that that's when I was starting creating content was around the time that I had burned out my OG plots. And I was like, I'm just going to go ahead and replot them with Mad Max plots and hit record while I did it. So that's kind of how I got my start in the content creation side of it was working through the Mad Max plotter. Prior to that, I had been using the OG and man, that was a difficult, difficult art form almost because you it was rough. Yeah, and I actually bought 21 terabyte SSDs. That is a lot of SSDs, right? Wow. Yes. Seriously? Yes. Oh yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I bought that many SSDs. I'd, so, like, my hard drive quest and my SSD quest was crazy. I drove hundreds of miles. I picked up every hard drive at Walmarts that I could find, and there were still tons of hard drives at Walmarts. 
none at Best Buy. Best Buy was like, they had already, that had happened. But I was able to pick up SSDs. Uh, actually, you know, a couple of weeks after that, the SSDs were actually having a shortage also. So I'm glad that I got them when I did. And that gave me roughly four rigs worth of plotting capability. Uh, immediately after that, about maybe two weeks, three weeks after that, uh, Mad Max came out and I was like, good night. <laughs> yeah. Although it did allow me to have really fast RAID zeros. So I was able to plot at a pretty good rate. And that really filled up the drives as fast as I could with the mm -hmm. NFT plots. Yeah. So you've had a relatively lucky time farming initially. Yeah. Did you use the same keys when you went back to NFT? I did. Um, you know, I haven't changed really anything about it except just, you know, replotting. Um, and I, I find that I, I hit blocks on a pretty consistent basis with my statistical prob probability is. Um, so I, like, I feel pretty happy with my keys and, um, and like, you know, but some people, I feel like they don't hit blocks like ever. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, that, that's like, and I feel really bad because I'm like, well, why, why is it that way? Right. Um, but how often do you hit blocks? So I hit my first solo block and that was the end of November, uh, which was like right before the end of my 60 day challenge when I decided to flip over and go solo. Uh, so I felt good about that. <clears throat> uh, early on, I was really an advocate for just getting in pools and staying in pools. And honestly, I still think that is like for 99% of the people out there, the go-to strategy, yeah. get in a pool, stay in a pool, your earnings are going to be consistent and that's going to make you a happy farmer. Yes. Um, now I did recently have some hardware changes and I was like, I'm just going to switch to a pool while I'm doing these hardware changes. Cause I know I'm going to have some downtime and I don't want to risk that. So I'll just put the rest of the farm over on that while I'm making some hardware changes. I'm doing some distributed sort of storage setup with GlusterFS. Uh, and I've hit two blocks during that time period. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> that yep. is so sad. It is. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it feels like it sounds, it feels rotten. You're like, yeah. no, I went solo for all that time. So now I've, I've, I've kind of thought about the key set. I still am very dissatisfied with my key set. Actually, I am planning on replotting once I get the distributed storage up and running. I'm waiting on some RDMA cards to come in. But as soon as that happens, yeah. I'm going to be getting another key set. I actually have nine key sets. So I started plotting in March. That was way before I, sh that was way, I, I should have continued on that. But then I kind of just like got distracted. I had a ton of real world work stuff going on. I forgot about it. I took a picture of that key set on my phone because I was like, you know, I, I, I might come back to this. Then when I retooled everything, because I really did have to retool my entire house's environment because all like we didn't have computers. We had a server that was a mega server and that was the terminals for everything. And I was like, I got to take this thing bare metal because with the OG yeah. plotter, pretty much bare metal was the only way. You couldn't get by with a RAID 5 array, especially an IR-based RAID 5 array. Software RAID 5 would have been a different story. So yeah, it's been rough, I would say, on my end. And I went so long with that, that first block, man. So long. How many plots do you have? And so, how many tippy bytes is that? So I've got 3950 right now. And that is active. I've got about a hundred tibby bytes to be plotted. That's empty raw. And that is the beginnings of the cluster FS. So I'm going to do a gradual, like, so I don't see the drop off in that. I'm going to be 
plotting to that and then taking them offline. And I'm going to start with the SMR drives. And that's roughly somewhere in the 420 terabyte range right there. So one thing that that um, me and my buddy did when we were replotting is that to like not have that huge drop off, yeah. we would figure out how many plots we could create in one day. And then mm. we would just delete that number of plots and then it would fill up and then the next day we would do the same thing um and so that way we didn't really experience a decrease in earnings at the time we were using an unofficial pooling not h pool but core pool um and so mm -hmm. we used core pool so we were earning on a consistent basis and we didn't want to see that big drop off um and so that's kind of what we did i'm not sure if you can do that with with um with your kind of so gluster approaches it so this is interesting like gluster approaches it in a kind of brick and a brick is essentially a server so i'll just add in another server it's non-redundant the actual compute layer that's going to be running proxmox will have the entire machinery setup that i use for doing my farming on on it and that can move between nodes so if there's no downtime that needs to happen for any reason, I can just move the farmer without having to have any downtime. When I take that one rig offline, only that rig's storage will come offline. The remainder of the farm stays up. So there's some beauty and elegance in the way that that is going to happen. Um, but there is also you know, a lot of pain points. And I am really hesitant to put out a GlusterFS uh, tutorial because I think a lot of people would be really misserved by stepping on that landmine. That's one that can blow up and just take you to pieces if, if you're not careful. So I've got a lot of hesitation towards doing a distributed storage. I've, I've got some people in the uh, Discord asking me to, and I'm like, mm, there's a lot of moving parts here. This yeah. could really hurt people. And I don't want to hurt farmers. That's one of the things yeah. when I do a video, I try to make sure that it benefits people. And that if I see a lot of questions and a lot of people hitting pain points and I remember that and I try to go back and not have that same experience for people yeah. at the at the end of the day. That's really interesting, yeah. Like I think that, you know, for me, I don't really plot or farm on servers. You know, I think we just use like a normal PC. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I, like I use my gaming rig here at home. Um, and then with my shared rig with my buddy, you know, we just have three you know, just normal Windows PCs that we plot and farm with. Um, but it's really interesting to see how deep you can get into it with servers and JBODs and network arrays. And, you know, for me, I don't know very much about that, like, like at all. Um, yeah. But it's really cool to see, you know, what, what it's like, what you can build up and what the potential of like a rig can be right mm -hmm. so i think that's that's like cool so let me ask you real quick are you are you running spaghetti monster usb kind of setup or what what is it, it is spaghetti monster um and I, I wish i could put up um like a video that i have of the rig but right now our shared rig is in like this grow tent um like on a rack and like a wire metal rack like a race. wire metal rack and i know that oh. the vibrations aren't aren't the best for that um and we are currently trying to get you know like uh wooden boards to kind of at least add some weight and dampen the uh, the uh, vibrations a bit um but yeah so it's it's definitely a cluster and so you're still in us hazard. you're still in usb enclosures then also right yeah 
So have you checked your temps? This is a good question that I like yes. to ask people. What are your temps looking like on your drives? Yeah. So I'm not the one that manages that rig on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so my buddy Daniel does, and and he he's he's been like hyper vigilant about the temperatures. And so he he tries to run his, um, I, I think sub 55 Celsius. That's like his goal. Um, and I, like I think anything 60 plus is like very not good, um, right? Well, yeah. So honestly, uh, if you popped those same drives out of those USB enclosures and put them in a, you know, an enterprise solution, uh, admittedly, most disk shelves are enterprise-based solutions, you would see a temperature somewhere around 35 to 40 C in the same environment. So typically the USB enclosure itself and kind of the nature of confining the heat in a pretty tight environment, it's going to automatically give you about a 10 C raise on each drive. And so, yeah, keeping them at 40 is in my opinion, where I'm comfortable. I don't like drives going over that. Uh, and so when I buy drives, I like to buy drives that have warranty. All the drives that I've purchased after that initial, you know, mad scramble to get all the drives and shuck them. Uh, those drives have two-year warranties. Uh, the rest of the drives that I've got have four or five-year warranties. And I'm not buying anything with less than a four or five-year warranty moving forward. We were just at a place where, okay, what's the fastest, cheapest, easiest way to get this up and running as, quick, as quickly as possible? And so that's what it ended up being. And we, we haven't bought drives in a while. Like it's been a while because I think our strategy right now is to just really wait and see where the price of Chia goes, continue to accumulate. And once, you know, things kind of settle down or we have enough then to upgrade from there, because I think our goal is to do a JBOD or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe not a server, but like a, you know, like a JBOD just that plugs so into like a PC, right? The, the beauty of it is, in my opinion, is that if you get like an SC846, You've got server like motherboard capacity in there. Now they sell them also as dummy units, so you can just have the drive shelf. Uh, and when you get to the cost scaling, there's a cost per tray uh, that you need to think about. With a USB, the beauty of having USB is that there's not really a cost per tray. There's a cost per expansion port, but that's pretty much going to be however many expansion slots you've got on your rig. Uh, and you can divide that down and come up with the math. Mm -hmm. The math works out substantially better. Uh, if you can find a disc shelf and you're planning on growing a large amount of discs mm -hmm. for a disc shelf, usually in the 200 to $300 range is where I think that you see a sweet spot. Uh, that's where the prices currently are. The other thing is, let me ask you this. So I think about this all the time. Prices on drives are down. I'm not going to say that they're pre-chia prices a hundred percent, but they're actually over Black Friday. We saw some drive prices for 14 terabyte sizes that coupled with coupons were cheaper than they've ever been before. Mm -hmm. uh, so there is a comeback to reality moment of the availability of hard drives. Do, do you think about yourself and you do analysis with your partner on whether or not you think now is the time to grow versus, because it's it, it does seem like if price yeah. shoots up, it's like, you know, the it's too late hardware is going to shoot. Yeah, it's too late. It's too late. Point. So, yeah. yeah, like that's definitely something that we've thought about. And I think what it boils down to is like we like we say, OK, it, it costs us this much per terabyte to get this many you know plots and this many plots will 
get us to one XCH at this time frame. Um, and right now, I think that time frame for us personally, when we break down our cost of expansion, is maybe about like I want to say like two and a half years at this earnings rate. So it's so that's at this price and at this current net space and consistent earnings for two and a half years. Um, that's how long it would pretty much take us. And, you know, I, like, I think at that point we are like, you know, gee, it might go lower, you know, like there's, there's a possibility that it can go lower. Um, oh yeah. Everything's not guaranteed in yeah, crypto nothing, for sure. And not financial advice. Right. But of course, like, yeah, no. you know, just when, when, when we run the numbers for ourselves, it makes sense to not buy like the coin or buy hard drives currently. And, you know, we've put in a lot into our like rigs. And I think that we're, we like, we just kind of want to take a break from, you know, pumping more money into it. Pretty much everything that we've invested has come from crypto mining, like everything almost. Like I'd say about yeah. like 85 to 90% of what we purchased, which we mostly purchased used drives at anywhere from like, 10 to 14 dollars per terabyte uh, that's a good price that's, yeah 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 and and so i mean i don't like that they're used but it's like okay we just need to get the cheapest thing that we can right now um but which i, I don't know if i would recommend now um so i have i've got to tell you a bunch of so i started shucking drives in 2013 i have drives eight terabyte drives today that were shucked back then still working wow Yes. So uh, there crazy. is something to say. I, I don't think it is actually, because I believe what you're seeing in USB drive failures is a direct attri attribution to them having high heat. And if you actually go back through the backblaze, I mean, this is how they started. Backblaze started chucking. That was their go-to-market strategy for getting cheap drives um, and growing their gigantic arrays out. So when you look at that in that context, they were able to get way more time out of those drives than they were stated, you know, a two-year warranty. So I think there is a good argument to be made for the shucking of a drive being a potential lifesaver uh, for the disk because you are going to be lowering at least 10C just right by just by taking it out of the enclosure and i mean drives are rated to have linear feet per minute dr drawn over them of air and so in a usb enclosure you're working with convection uh so it's counting on cold air coming up from the bottom through the chassis of the usb plastic enclosure and then be you know naturally convecting out the top when you can find a bunch of drives into a tighter area that actually is a limiting factor in it being able to circulate the air. And so a confinement space, if it has evacuation, which, you know, I'm assuming your tent has evacuation. Yeah, and in there's light, tons right? of fans in there, like tons. So it's like, like, it sounds like a leaf blower in there. Actually, It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've I've seen them before, and yeah, they're not they're not they're they're not noiseless machines. Yeah. But if you were not to have that, I would be way more concerned. You do have that, so you are moving air over them. Yeah. Now, whether the air is moving around the USB enclosure or not, or whether it's moving over the top of the drive, that is a consideration point mm -hmm. to to be considered. So I would say, you know, I'm looking at my drives right now that are. 33 and 35C uh, in my garage. And that is the highest temperature that I'm seeing. The remainder of them are in the 25 to 24C range. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's just really interesting. There's always been this debate about, you know, do, do I buy the coin? Do I buy more hard drives? And 
you know, I think for us, we just kind of realized where we're at with our earnings rate, with how we are costing things. You know, we're just kind of putting the brakes on it just a little bit, just because that's what we feel comfortable with right now. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty in the crypto sphere in general. Like, I mean, the regulatory environment in the United States is changing like really fast here for cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. It seems like we could be looking at a completely different landscape in as little as six months mm -hmm. if things continue on the path that they are and there's not drastic intervention. And so that's unfortunate that we're in a position where we now need drastic intervention to prevent certain things from actually metastasizing that have already passed into law. So that has me kind of a little bit on edge also. I think there's a lot of people that are feeling the same way. And I know that I push and I hope that our audience, if you have you know a viewpoint on this, not telling you how to have a viewpoint, but it's not a bad idea if you do have a viewpoint on it to reach out and talk to your representatives. If you're in the United States, that can definitely be something that allows them to hear your voice. All right. So let's talk also like real quick about, I think some other hot topics that are going on with Chia yeah. right now, like cats. That's been pretty crazy, right? It, it, so, yeah, I think um, I think Chris from the Chia Pluck called it the Cat Cambrian Explosion. Um, and it, I think that's a pretty cool name for it. Um, and also pretty accurate because it, it just feels like like there is so much going on with cats and people are just minting tons of stuff. Like, you know, I think if you go on offer bin, you know, I think there are, there's like a large handful of them. Hash green doesn't have as much, but they're growing. I think every week they're adding like two or three. Um, but there's even more outside of that. Um, and it's, it's really interesting to see because most of them are, are worthless. Um, and yeah, most of them are memes. Yeah. Most of them are just memes and just, they mm -hmm. don't have any value attached to them. And some people are asking for XCH. Um, and I'm like, Oh, I don't know if that's like the right way to go about it. Um, not financial advice or, you know, calling anyone out, but like, I think that, I think that it's interesting because it's an important stress test of the Chia ecosystem and, and, you know, to like create a whole bunch of cats and just see what happens, try and break it, come up with ideas of how to, um, like, of, of like how to utilize offer files to its fullest. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's really cool to see them all, but I, I yeah. So you're talking about cats. You don't own very many cats. Interesting. I So I put my address out there apparently for a couple of airdrops and holy cow, everybody sends me cats now. And I don't know if this is a marketing strategy or not, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I've got quite a few cats. I think I have in the 20-ish range of different cats. 20? I, I've only actually asked for, I think, four. Uh, and actually, uh, some of the people I just had fun with, like the Flat Universe people, I think that oh, was yeah. just fun. So <laughs> yeah. like we were, we were making memes and jokes and stuff. And like it was like a kind of uh, squid game moment, like as we were eliminating people out of the Discord. I just got eliminated and I did a jelly donut squash to, to represent me getting flattened and removed from the Discord. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that, yeah, the, the ecosystem has seen a bubble of entrepreneurial activity as a result of offer files and cats enabling people at a micro level to really transact, to create things. Certainly you can't say that this would be possible at the level and scale it's been possible at right now without the Chives team. And I've got to give these people oh, a lot yeah. of credit. Their tool set has uh, enabled the production of almost all of what we're seeing today. So that's really cool. Now, I know that we're both marmiteers, so we've both got an SM1 in our bag, right? At this point, you might have more than one SM1. You don't have to disclose how many SM1s you have. 
by any means. But yeah, I mean, I do have a, a small handful, I would say. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's, you know, if we're talking about this, it's really important to have the transparency that, you know, we do own, you know, yes. one or more of these tokens. Um, that's pretty much the only one that, that I've really, you know, gone out of my way to acquire, um, mainly because I can't, I can't afford an actual Marmot coin. I would love to have one of those. Um, and yes, yeah, Space Bucks, it feels like, you know, it's a stable coin pegged at zero dollars. So I'm like, hmm. And arguably it has a value it, well above. It zero. does. It definitely does. Um, which, you know, the performance is just outstanding with that coin. Um, but but yeah, so I mean, when I first downloaded the Light Wallet, I, I maybe had like five or six that were just airdropped. I don't mm-hmm. know how they got my wallet address because I don't really post it anywhere. Um, you know, maybe they got it from like, you know, I won a, like a block during a, like a period of time and that's how they did it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I pretty much just don't really do anything with them other than the SM1, which is the Space Marmot premium token. So, yeah. And I've been really excited about that because I think they took a really mm-hmm. innovative mark, go to market strategy for the presale of the future NFTs, one on chain. Uh, so Marmot on chain apparently is going to be a thing here. But second, I think possibly even more interesting is the incentivization of the end user with the royalty attachment to it. So I think that is something that I know me personally, I looked at that. And I mean, as a YouTube creator, you actually get paid in royalty checks. Uh, if you are a, a author or an editor of books, you get paid in royalty checks. And there's a power to royalty that is wonderful because it just keeps coming in. Uh, And those feel good when you see them show up in your mailbox. You just love those things. So, I mean, do you think that that weighed pretty heavy on you getting into it or were you in no matter what? I mean, I think that I was, so part of me was a little bit in no matter what, because this felt like the first, you know, reputable, um, you know, because like the guys at the Chia Plot, to me, like, if they were to not, um, I guess, uh, how do you? This say? is not a rugging event. It's not a rugging event because they have a yeah. lot to lose, right? And, they do. And and so you know, I trust those guys. You know, um, you know please do your own research if you're going to get into this. Um, you know, not financial advice. Can't stress that enough. Not but, completely uh, drama free either. Yeah, you, look at yeah. it, you can find a little bit of the ruffles of feathers here and there yeah. every now and then. Yeah, but the royalty aspect of it was a huge, you know, factor for why I wanted to get into it because yeah. I think that's where the where there's huge value that forever, if this ever gets traded, I will get a percentage of that sale, um, and and that's that's really huge. Like I think for the owners of these tokens, if they decide to not sell it and actually mint a marmot with it, um, so you know I do have some questions about the royalty on. NFTs, because I know that, you know, I think Chia said that you can trade NFT for for like NFT, but then how do you know what the royalty price is, uh, you know, if you're not, you know, trading like for actual XCH, right? Mm-hmm. So pr- pretty interesting. And, and I think we'll, we'll know more once their NFT standard comes out. Um, but I mean, yeah, there's massive value with that. Yes. Royalty, and and so- that's why I'm going to be for sure minting at least one. Yeah. And so going to Mint is definitely something that I... But yeah. what's your favorite part about the SM1 and... Um... The learning experience it presents to the entire audience in the entire ecosphere of Chia who have not had copyright exposure prior. So this really? is one of the... Yeah, isn't that weird? Yes. Yeah. 
It's that weird. is. <laughs> no, this is important. This is super important. Yeah. So what you are getting and I've actually talked about this a couple of times at a surface level, but it may not be what you think you're getting. So like I'm getting an SM1, like a marmot, right? I, I can't show that marmot on my YouTube channel, for instance, because my YouTube channel is monetized. It's commercial. It would be commercial reuse of an asset. So I can't do that. Now, could I go out there and ask them for special privileges to do that? And maybe they would do that. Maybe they wouldn't. I don't know. Uh, I don't think that that's fair for me to do. I think that I'm going to just write out whatever the community gets also. So I'm not going to ask for a special grant of rights so that I can display my marmot. I just won't be able to display my marmot. Uh, and that is just a function of copyright. Fair use though? Like, do you think that plays a factor in this or no? I, so if I was covering it as a news story or something like that, then maybe. Uh, but I don't. I, I'm not even going to bother with bot trying that. Like it doesn't make a difference to me. There's a fair use line where you are talking about something as like a news coverage item or something like that. Uh, once you own the asset yourself and it can be directly tied to you, then there's a. It's harder to make that argument. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. So. There's some good links that I've uh, been telling people about from Travelers uh, PLC. Uh, they've put out an open NFT kind of guideline out there that clearly outlines. I have been talking with uh, the person that's behind the Catmos project, Josh, and he actually is utilizing that uh, moving forward for his NFTs that he's releasing out there so that it's clear up front what the ownership is. And so you can certainly, if you are issuing an NFT, issue a, a wider set of privileges to people, uh, even all the way up to full commercial reuse. But unless you explicitly issue them or unless there has been a contractual negotiation where somebody understands they're getting that, uh, copyright in the United States is actually significantly in favor of the copyright holder who has created the work. So in this case, that's the artist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's that's really interesting. And I don't think that's talked about very much at all. Um, it's incredibly important in the NFT sphere. Uh, and yeah. so this is a wonderful time for people to learn about that. That should affect what your uh, estimation of things are, or it should give you a good basis in reality for what you are buying. Uh, it's not exactly the same as a lot of people think it is, uh, but this is one of the things that I've professionally dealt with in the past uh, on both, both ends of the coin. Uh, and so there's a lot of due diligence. If you are acquiring full commercial rights to something, yeah. usually there's a good amount of work that goes into that ahead of time to make sure that you actually have the documents that say you're going to own that and you can do whatever you want with it. If you're white labeling a project or something like that, for instance. Mm -hmm. I also think the individual level of entrepreneurs that has been spawned by this is really good. I, there's actually a lot of husband and wife teams that I've talked to that are producing art. Uh, maybe a wife is an artist, husband is a nerd <laughs> kind of scenarios. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's really cool. I love, I, I like that because like that's bringing, first off, that's bringing females into the cryptosphere. And I like that is just an overall thing. I think that there, I, when I see my numbers on my channel and it's 99.7%, uh, you know, male, I'm like, there's a large portion of the population that just, they're not interested in it. It could be they're not interested in crypto, but this is a good way for people to get interested in crypto. So I, anything that encourages STEM, I am solidly in favor of out there. So I think that's also another really cool aspect of it is we're drawing in more people. As a matter of fact, I know that NFTs have been something that has broken down the traditional, this is just a you know 
guys hobbyist kind of thing producing yeah. stuff so i think that's really cool also to increase the level of participation out there yeah yeah that's that's really interesting you know um so when you look at the entrepreneurs out there right now in the chia sphere who do you kind of get most excited about you know like yeah so I've got it. I mean, no doubt. I think Speedman and Chris over at the Chia Plot are, and I, I think you know I, I don't have any qualms about their capability set for getting Marmot on chain. Uh, so I think they're bringing some cool stuff there. They've alluded to a lot of other things. So I think that they've got a pretty deep playbook of things that'll be coming out that we should keep an eye on. Uh, I know that I'm excited for future announcements from them about other stuff. Uh, I think the last format that they did their Marmot release in was, I mean, very non-traditional. It was like a scavenger hunt across the internet and stuff. I mean, I, that, that's the first time I've heard of necessarily that format for a launch of an NFT yeah. project or the sale of a pre-sale of an NFT project. Uh, I am definitely thinking that uh, the person behind the Catmos project has a, I mean, he's got a lot of, he's got 20 years of developer experience on serious systems level engineering stuff. So uh, he's bringing a lot to the table that will, yeah. I think, be manifesting in even more ways than NFT. But I think there's also, you know, a lot of people that we don't see uh, just because yeah. they're heads down working on stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that yeah. Katie over at uh, XCH Central they're doing an NFT project and she is a systems engineer herself. Uh, so she's working on some Chialist stuff. So I'm watching what they're producing also yeah. over there. I think we can see some interesting stuff come out of that team. Uh, there's other people also that, you know, have just like really good art. One um, entrepreneur that I always see on Twitter is Dylan, um, you know, and he's, he builds for the, like the evergreen miner, right? Um, yes. He's always doing stuff with that. So I think that that's pretty cool. Um, have you talked to him recently? I know that um, you had him on the channel, I think a few months back, right? I had him on the channel. We chatted about the, uh, the Evergreen Miner. I think that what he, I mean, okay, so he's a young entrepreneur, a yep. young maker, a young doer. So there's a lot to be excited about. I don't know 100% everything that he is going to be releasing, mm -hmm. but he's platforming services off of, like the evergreen. Yeah. Uh, so I think that, you know, the extensibility of what he's going to bring could be a lot of gamification. It could be a lot of other DeFi functionality built into something that I think he's trying to bridge the gap of difficulty. Yeah. I really like that. Bridging the gap, that, that gap of difficulty, I think is a good thing. Uh, Scott, I think it's Scotopic is his name. Yes. Mm -hmm. Scotopic has some amazing art. I've tried to buy this planets thing off of him for some time and he just won't sell it to me. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if he sold it to somebody else, but he, he, he said it's coming out in a future project. I don't know what that project is. He has actually like, I was just seeing a GitHub with a wallet in it that has yeah, like I guess his own role of a wallet. I'm not sure if it's going to have NFT capabilities, but that's somebody also that I'm watching right now to see uh, what comes next from him as well. Yeah. His artwork is like deep yet, like you can look at it for a while and yeah. it's very, it makes you think about what you're looking at. Yeah. So going back to cats, are you excited about any other cats other than the SM1? As far as the artwork, I do like the Catmosphere artwork because you'll have actual interactivity. And like, I'm a cat, like furry cat person also. 
yeah. so uh, yeah, that is and that's interesting to me uh, because being able to customize the NFT that I'm going to get uh, to reflect kind of my own cat's personality uh, is something that I value. And being able to associate that with uh, one of my fluffy friends, uh, Yoshi in particular, uh, I think yeah. is gonna, I, it's gonna speak to me on a level for a long time. And that's something that just holding that one is something I'm looking forward to. Uh, as far as the NFTs, the like, like I said, the Messier 110 NFT ticket, uh, that that's really i think just for me being an amateur astronomer that's important to me mm -hmm. uh astronomy outreach is important i like getting science into the hands of kids i was like 12 years old 11 years old when i got my first telescope and started you know astronomy stuff so it was it was a lot of fun and it's been a lot of fun for me it's a great hobby uh maybe it's kept me out of trouble i don't know that might be going a bridge too far yeah. but uh <laughs> It's definitely good science outreach, and it opens the 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 kind of mind's eye of the scientific possibilities of so much in the universe that's out there. Yeah. So, and, and the artwork is like straight up solid. Really, yeah. really looking forward to that one. As far as the other ones that are artwork based, uh, man, I don't want to leave people out that I think have something that's coming up pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, there's the Spartan one with uh, the Marmot Spartan challenge that yeah, happened, I but that. I don't want I don't, I don't like beheaded anything. So there was <laughs> some imagery out there. I was like, I don't know if that's exactly what I'm in for. Uh, there was a reverse one where a Marmot was holding a Spartan. Like, I mean, I, I think there's a camaraderie or a, a challenge ship. I don't know between certain uh, memes. Like I, how did Marmot, like, I know that, Really, it was Pre Preston Byron who brought yeah. up marmots in the first place with the first marmot coin. Mm -hmm. Is that going to be an NFT of some sort? I don't even know. Is that is that just know. a cat? I don't. Even I think know. it's just a cat, and I think it's going to remain a cat. I think, I think what his his goal w with it was was just to like you know use that as like maybe like a fundraiser for for you know donating to the marmot foundation in some place right um yes and so I, I don't know if he's gonna do anything with it other than you know just say hey it's very limited supply and one you know marmot coin equals like 100 xch right um but yeah i think there's only like 77 or so out i could be wrong yeah and if people if you don't follow him out there he is a lawyer who has a lot of he's insight great. Yeah, he, he provides a lot of insight into the cryptosphere. Yeah. Also, I'll give a shout out to Haley Lennon, who is another lawyer that gives a lot of insight to the cryptosphere. Both of them, I think, I, I agree with their interpretations of where crypto, where the cryptosphere is, where we're heading, yeah. things that our pain points in our future look like. So check those people out also, if you don't mind. Yeah, so, I mean, that's pretty much, I think, a really good uh, wrap on our first episode here. So folks, do give us feedback. Let us know how you feel about this. Yeah. You can hit me up at Digital Spaceport on Twitter. Austin, let people know how they can find you and get back in contact with you. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much just on Twitter with my Chia stuff. So a Bronswag is my tweet Twitter handle. Yeah, so uh, you go ahead and follow me on there and yeah. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed this inaugural launch of the podcast.